Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. So the title of our sermon this morning is called Recognizing Jesus. We are on week three of looking at Jesus as the healer. Have you guys enjoyed this so far? I've really enjoyed seeing how Jesus healed different people. We talked about the ten lepers um, and how they came to Jesus and he just spoke the word and they were healed, right? And then that was amazing. So skin diseases, diseases don't mess with Jesus. They don't mess with his authority, right? And then we talked about the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years suffering, Oh, 12 years of suffering, and she goes to Jesus in faith, just touches his clothes, and she is healed and gets her miracle. And if that's not enough, because Jesus is so awesome, he raises a little girl from the dead on the same day. Like, that's the Jesus I serve. I serve a God who does miracles, who still does miracles, who still loves people, who meets people on their level no matter where they're at. That's why I'm excited, okay? So if I sound a little crazy, I am. I'm crazy about Jesus, okay? Um, Let's go to John chapter 5, starting at verse 2. Give them a second to put on the screen. When you're there, say amen. All right. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. It's interesting what... Jesus is showing this man, and it's something we need to understand as we recognize Jesus, is we need to first recognize hope. We have to, no matter what kind of situation we're in, we have to realize that Jesus is hope. There's hope in our situation. There's hope in your trial. There's hope in your struggle. There's hope in your marriage. Whatever you're dealing with, there is hope because Jesus is there. He's always there. Amen? I want to talk a little bit about this pool for a second. Um, I don't know about your Bible, but a lot of Bibles skip verse 4, where they give the context of this pool. And so if you have it in there, or it's an asterisk on your Bible, it'll show you, it'll read something like this, that an angel went down at a certain season and stirred up the water. And whoever got there first was healed of their disease. So that was the hope of all of these people, this multitude of sick and lame and everything else, blind, deaf, whatever. They're all looking and waiting to see this pool bubble up because it was like an angel's, an angel's going to come down. He's going to stir up the water. And if I cannonball in fast and hard enough, I get healed. I'm going to get my miracle. I'm going to be healed from my disease, right? And so they're looking at that. And, and it's interesting that you see this in the world today still where people look to superstitious things thinking that that's actually going to help them when in reality Jesus is standing right there. You know, I don't know about you, I've noticed people that they don't, you know, if they sweep their feet when they're, you know, sweeping or something, that that's that's bad and they've got bad luck now. And people, they have their, you've seen the little lucky rabbit's foots, you know what I mean, on their keychain and stuff. And people do all these things, like I've known some people, they've got to touch the doorknob like 17 times before they leave the room where, you know, bad luck's going to happen. And, And in Christianity, there is no such thing as luck. I want you to know that, okay? First and foremost, 
it's, luck is not real. Luck, grace is real. Jesus' grace is sufficient and grace is real, but having luck and doing things for luck is not a real thing, right? And so we see this for this man. It's really interesting that Jesus kind of, uh, he asks him a rhetorical question. Do you notice that? He goes to this guy who's been not able to walk for 38 years. Do you, do you want to get well? No, Jesus. I just really like this spot. I like my mat placed right here. I don't want to move. Do you ever think that Jesus asks you something or, or approaches you and you can answer sarcastically sometimes? You know what I mean? He's like, Jesus, is that a real question? Of course I want healing. Of course I need your help. Instead, I think we do a lot of times what this guy did to Jesus. Instead of our focus on Jesus and seeking his help, we look for something else. Or if he gives us a vision or he gives us a dream of something that seems impossible, someplace you want to be, and then when Jesus shows you that, you in your own mind or when you talk to him and you're like, well, Jesus, let me just tell you how that's impossible and how that can never happen. Let me give you, let me give you my excuse of why I'm not there why I'm not trying to go there, why there's no way that miracle can happen. The cancer is real. It's spread too far. There's no way it can be healed. No way, Jesus. There's no way. The doctors have said it. There's no way. And a lot of times we deal with sicknesses. We deal with diseases. We deal with and hope for a miracle, but then it's right there in sight. But yet we're like, Jesus, it's, it's not going to work. I don't know about you, but I do that with Jesus. I give excuses about why I'm not doing what I should do or why I'm not living the way I should. And it's like, well, Jesus, actually, it's because this happened and this happened. Or, you know, the, you know this issue happened to me and I'm in a really bad spot. And this whole time, we're giving Jesus excuses and he's standing there like he is with this man. Like, are you done yet? You ready to trust me? You ready to stop trying to figure everything out? You can't do it. It is impossible with man. Exactly. What Jesus calls you to in that dream he's birthed in you, it should sound impossible. Because if it's not, then you can do it in your own power, and it's not a real dream in the first place. It's got to be something more. A God-given dream needs God's presence to fulfill it. You need his grace. You need his mercy. And so as we do that, and in those moments where we trust Jesus, right, you, you know, you see where you're going, Jesus has challenged you, and you're going that way. We also have to learn to discern what he wants us to do. Right? We need the Holy Spirit to guide our lives. We need him to guide our interactions. And I know I've talked about this a few times last week too, but I'm praying, and it's something I'm trying to challenge myself to in the morning. When I get up, Lord, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to talk to people today? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to share the gospel with? How do you want me to love today? Because your own love and your own power is not enough. It's got to be God doing it. It's got to be the Holy Spirit directing If you notice, out of all these sick people, all these deaf people, only one was highlighted in this moment. And it can be a great thing. I know when I first got saved and I talked to Shay that I was, I was one of those really ridiculous Jesus freaks that would just go up to everybody in their mind. Do you know Jesus loves you? And like, I've been a Christian for 30 years. Yes, I know this. I'm like, but he does, though. He really loves you, everyone. I'm, do you know Jesus loves you? Do you know Jesus loves you? And I think I annoyed like 95% of the people I talked to, you, honestly. Maybe it was good, and it, I meant well. But a lot of things, or a lot of times, we can have dreams and visions, and it can be a lot of good things we want to do. But unless the Holy Spirit is guiding you, you are not going to have that power behind it, what you want to do. What am I, what am I trying to say? If you remember Paul, when he went to missions, he wanted to go to Asia. He had a heart for Asia. 
meant well. People in Asia need Jesus. They still do to this day. God still calls people to Asia. But he wanted to go. And you know who stopped him? The Holy Spirit. Paul, I know you mean well, but that's not where I want you right now. That's not it. Have you ever had been break checked by the Lord? You want to do something? He's like, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Don't do that yet. And then Paul's like, again, he's like, no, uh-uh. And then Paul's finally at a point where he can listen like, okay, where do you want me to go? I'm done with what I want to do and how I want to do things. My zeal is great, but at the end of the day, he's like, okay, Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go? And he tells him to go to Macedonia. We have to do that in our own lives on a daily. Who do you want me to talk to today? Where do you want me to go today, Lord? Because someone who is completely staunch atheist and, and hates you and hates your faith or whatever else, on that day that God calls you to talk to them could be the day they're ready to receive the gospel. Could be the day they are ready to hear from God. And we have to be bold enough and trust the Holy Spirit enough and not only to do what he's called us to do, but also the timing as well. We've got to trust Jesus for the timing. Amen? Let's continue to John chapter 5, um, verse 8 now. 8 through 15. It says, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? <laughs> now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. You know, oftentimes this is the case for a miracle. And by no means am I telling you this is a sure formula that you use. There's no way we can manipulate God. But in this case, we see this happen, that grace plus obedience equaled a miracle. Jesus had compassion on this man. He had the authority. He loved this man. God showed grace to him. And then when he told him to get up and walk, what did the man do? He didn't stay there. He got up and walked. For a lot of us, Wanting to get our miracle requires, not only does Jesus want that for us, but he's wanting us to do what he's called us to do as well. You can't just sit and relax and, oh, I really wish, when Jesus is like, take the first step then, man. Go. Do what I've called you to do. Do what you know, and then I'll reveal more to you and more to you. And so for this, we look at the way Jesus healed people, and it's, it's pretty crazy. Some of the healings he did required spit and required mud. Sometimes it was talking. Sometimes it was touching clothes. Like sometimes he asked the name of the demon that was in the boy, whatever. All these different things. By no means is there a formula to a miracle. Amen? Miracles always point to God's glory. They're always because God grants the miracle. It's to show that God is king. And that's something that we, you know, the God, the creator of everything, of heaven and earth, that made you so complex, that made you so intricate, that made the world so intricate. You think he did all that and somehow he's a vending machine in the sky? That if you push the right buttons, you get the result that you want? It doesn't work that way, right? Miracles do not work that way. It is God giving the miracle and it always points to him. And so for us, as we see this, as we trust God and we pray for miracles for other people, you see that obedience thing. That doesn't always mean that, that God will give someone a miracle 
and they're going to live a life of obedience right after that. Do you know this? Have you seen this? You know what I think is funny? The people that, that really don't like Christianity or don't believe in God, a lot of times when they're really in a struggle and they're in a trial, they go to the people that claim they have a relationship with God. I, want, I need some prayer. I need something. They come to you. Hopefully you're that person. If not, where are you and God at right now? You know what I mean? And so when they go to it, you can pray for them and you can intercede for them that the Bible tells you to do. Please don't ever turn anyone down for prayer, okay? I don't care if you're nervous or not. If someone comes to you and needs prayer, pray with them. Love them and help them out. But just because you pray for them and just because they receive that miracle, the cancer's gone or whatever else it is, doesn't mean that now they're going to live a life of obedience. That's not always the case. That's not always going to happen. And so we see when Jesus did this, when he prayed, or when he just told this man, he didn't pray for him, he just said, get up, take up your bed and walk. The man did it. And so Jesus didn't stop him mid-walk and say, oh, wait, 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 come, come, come back, come back. Bow at my feet. Um, you need to worship me real fast. I'm the King of Kings. I'm the Lord of Lords. I did this for you. Oh, by the way, my name's Jesus. You're going to need to know that later when someone asks you who my name is. By no means did he do that. He just loves people. Amen? Jesus loves people. He wants to bless people. He wants to heal people. He wants to be there for people. And so we should model that nature. We should never by no means expect something back when we're helping someone out. Or bless someone just to get something back. That's not following Jesus. That's following your own pride and ego. That's ridiculous. So we should model Jesus in this, that even you bless someone, even if they don't, you bless them and you help them out and you help pay their bills even, and now you can't pay your bills by no means like, hey, you remember when I helped you out? Like, hook a brother up, man. Now I need you. That's not the case. You shouldn't do something just to get rewarded. We have to model Jesus in this. And how oftentimes have we done this in our lives where we accept the gift, but we ignore the giver? That ever happened to you? Jesus blessed you? Maybe it's something that happened in your past a long time ago that he blessed you from. He gave you a miracle. And you know what it is right now. You remember what it is. But then over time, your relationship with Jesus gets a little relaxed because he hasn't done something supernatural, miraculous for you lately. So you ignore the time you spend with him. You ignore getting closer to him because you, you get to that point where you want more and more and more and more and more instead of just wanting more of Jesus. You should never want the miracles and the blessings more than you want to have a relationship with Jesus. If that's the case, something is messed up in your heart. Something is messed up in your mind. You have to want more of Jesus. And I love that Jesus comes to this man when in his moment of despair and when he's in the temple giving praise. Jesus is always there, right? your darkest of moments, and when you're worshiping God and everything seems all good, he is still there. And I love that about Jesus. What I struggle with is what the religious leaders did to the man. This guy had been healed miraculously, and instead of jumping for joy and praising God, hallelujah, this guy can walk. That's legit. They're like, how dare you hold your mat on the Sabbath? Scandalous. You're breaking our rules, man. Are you for serious? Now, I know we don't do that as Christians, do we? We don't ever point out anyone else's flaws and their sin that they do, thinking highly of ours. No way. No way. Not this church. This church is way too holy for that. You guys never sin, right? But isn't it interesting that we claim we follow Jesus, but yet we start modeling these people? 
We start getting on to people because of what they're doing and how they're living and how they're acting instead of doing that in love. I'll give you an example. When I first got saved, I didn't have my doctrine together. I didn't have the Bible memorized by any means, right? Still don't have the Bible memorized. And so I would, I love Jesus and I had a heart for Jesus, but I was still messed up in my lifestyles. I still did not talk appropriately. I still not do things perfectly and biblically. And you know, I had a lot of people that were Christians for a long time that would point out those flaws. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, you know that sin. You're living in sin. I can't even believe you're, you know, you call yourself a Christian and have that reaction. And by no means should we do that because that's modeling the religious leaders. How should we handle that instance when we see someone living in sin but claiming to follow Christ? Go to them in love. Say, hey, hey, brother, sister, I've noticed this happen in your life. God's revealed this to me. Is everything okay? Is everything going on? God says this about this, but I see you doing this. Like, what? where's that coming from? I, I love you. I don't want to see you suffer. I don't want you to see you live in sin. How, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? Do you need an accountability partner? Whatever else it is. That goes over a lot well rather than sinner. You, did, you said a bad word. You're obviously going to hell. You don't really love Jesus. You know how crushing that is to someone who's really trying? You know how crushing it was for me that I'd be like, man, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not where I used to be. God saved me from that, and I'm growing. Like, could you help a brother out instead of constantly judging me for it? We have to love people and be there for people and not just condemn everyone, but love them. If we're modeling Jesus, he did confront sin, but he also drew people in too. He was real about sin, real about the effects of sin, but gave hope and was loving people too. He didn't disown people because they were sinning. He guided them and helped them and discipled them. That should be our model, amen? And as we look at this thing of suffering, there's a correlation between suffering and sin. What's that correlation? You know, sin leads to suffering. I want you to know this, okay? Sin leads to suffering. Your sin leads to suffering not only in your life, and for you maybe physically, but emotionally and mentally, your inner turmoil, but it also affects people around you. It affects your family. Your sinful lifestyle, your sinful actions affect people around you. Can I get an amen? Do you know this? Is everyone stuck in their own box and didn't realize that? When you sin, you're affecting other people around you too, not just you. Your sin never just makes you suffer. It makes other people suffer as well. But not all suffering is because of sin. Amen? Just because you're suffering does not mean you're living a sinful lifestyle. First Peter says it like this in chapter 3. Starting at verse 17, it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus was perfect, sinless, yet he still suffered for you and for me. So yes, the righteous do suffer. Now, as you accept Jesus and you're covered by his blood, that doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. Being a Christian is hard. Ask anyone who's done it for more than an hour, turning the other cheek, trusting Jesus, obeying him despite what the world says, despite what culture says, despite what other people say. It's very, very hard. And I'm not saying maybe, maybe you've physically been punched and you've had to turn the other cheek, but you've been verbally punched, emotionally punched. Oh, you call yourself a Christian. How do you turn your cheek in that? It's hard to do that, right? And so we have to look at our lives, that we, why we suffer and why we're in this condition. Is it because you are living for God 
and you're doing the best you can, and you're putting Jesus first. And no, you're not perfect, but you're striving for perfection. You're striving for holiness. You're striving to be more like Jesus, but yet you know the enemy's attacking you. You know you're getting hit on every side, and it's hard. And so you're suffering, and that's when you ask God to sustain you and help you to keep that fire lit in your life, to keep you going, to keep pursuing God. But other times, we can look at our lives and our relationships and think they're rocky and they're messed up and we have all these problems. And the reality is, is because you're a jerk. You're living a life of sin. You're full of pride. You only think about you. You only care about yourself. And so, yeah, that's going to happen. You're, if you're living in sin, especially Christians who claim to follow Christ, but they don't obey Christ, you're going to suffer. You're going to constantly be convicted by the Holy Spirit until you shun him out completely and you turn your back on God completely. That's what that leads to. So you have to realize if you're suffering or when we suffer, am I suffering because I'm striving for God and God, I need your help? Or is something in my heart and my life broken? Or God, I need you to fix it. I don't want to suffer this way. I need to be more like you. And so let's continue John chapter 5, verse 16. I'll try not to go over time, okay? Verse 16 says this, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. How dare Jesus? What? You work on the Sabbath? You're claiming equality with God? He's basically asking these rabbis, these religious leaders a question, and it's something that I want to ask you guys today in this moment where you stand with this, and this is the question. Who is Jesus to you? That matters. Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus who Muslims tell you he is? Buddhists tell you he is? Atheists tell you he is? Historians tell you he is? Or is Jesus who he tells you he is? You read in your word and you see who Jesus is. You know, we as Christians, I've seen it so many times where we get, we, we take our few scriptures of Jesus that we like the most. Of, 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 and you know, we create this like avatar, right? You know what I'm talking about? You do this on Facebook and other things. You make an avatar of yourself. And so we take these scriptures and take these certain things about Jesus and then we, you know, reflect our own personality and our own thoughts of how we think we would handle situation and we put it all together in a cauldron and it pops out this avatar Jesus of like, that's my Jesus. Look at him. He's pretty. Loves you all the time. Doesn't challenge people, right? And so I wonder if for us, when we think of Jesus... And when the world thinks of Jesus, do we see this version that we have created? Or do we see who Jesus really is? I, I challenge you to go through your Bible where Jesus speaks. You know, most Bibles, it's the red letters. Read that and tell me if your perception of Jesus matches up with that. Does it match up with what the Bible says? Does it match up with who he says he is? Because that really matters. And these religious leaders, they felt their authority threatened. Because of who Jesus claimed to be. He claimed to be sent by God, equal with God. 
And you know, if they knew their scriptures like they said they did, in Isaiah 35, it talks about the Messiah is coming to heal the lame and the sick and the blind and the deaf and the mute and all these things. And Jesus is doing it right in front of their faces and they still can't see it. They are so blind, so stuck in their own pride and ego that they just have this skewed vision of who the Messiah should be instead of who he actually is. And you know, these religious leaders, they meant well, right? If you know the story behind it, they, they, they've seen, they've read about the Assyrian captivity and Babylonian captivity. And we talked about that in the Old Testament, how the Israelites would be told to do something or obey God, but yet they would turn. And so constantly suffering, constantly turning against God. And so these guys initially were like, we don't want that to happen. We want to be all in. So this is what we're going to do as leaders. We're going to keep adding rules and keep adding another rule to Leviticus. Have y'all read Leviticus? Have y'all went through Leviticus? A lot of you in the Bible reading plan, that's where you stop, right? Because you're like, I just can't anymore. But if you read that, these guys thought it was a great idea. You know what? That's not enough. Let's add more, and let's add more, and let's make the fence shorter and shorter and shorter. So you, anything you do now, you step left when you shouldn't use your right foot, and you're sinning. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. And so they meant well, but Jesus challenged them because he's like, you know what? In Matthew 23, he talks about these, like, you are so sure to tithe on your herbs and your garden, but you are neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness to do it. Jesus frustrates religion. It's a relationship that he wants, not your do's and don'ts or how you should dress or how you should sing or everything. If Jesus is for everyone, then of course we're going to worship him differently, Right? But he's still the same. His authority is still there. And as of this, as Jesus, we talk about he has all authority. I'm going to share this verse of 1 Corinthians 15. And his verses 25 and then jump to 28. It says this. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. You read this, and you see that everything is under his authority. And even if you feel like right now your situation, your problem isn't, it is. It is. For things to happen, Jesus has to allow it. He is the ultimate rule. And so asking yourself, who is Jesus? Is he more than just a man? Is he more than just a prophet? Is he, what, what is he to you? Who is he? Why are you here? How do you live your life? I guarantee you, let, know this, this correlation, the level of authority Jesus has in your life and your heart determines the level of obedience you're going to give him. That determines the level of dedication you have for him. If you're not really obedient, you don't really serve Jesus, maybe you don't really view him as who he really is. Maybe he's not king of kings and lord of lords in your eyes. Maybe he's in someone else's, but not yours. Or your actions would show that faith. They would prove that. And so we have this, this situation that happens in Revelation chapter 5. And John gets this vision. And it's revelation of Jesus, right? And, and you see that there's this throne that God's sitting on. And he has this scroll of seven seals. And around him are 24 elders. And then you have these angelic hosts. And they're just praising God and giving God glory and bowing down to him. And then God asks the question, who's worthy to take this scroll and open it from me? Who answered? Not the angels, not the elders, no one on heaven or earth except Jesus. 
In steps Jesus, who is worthy. The only one really worthy to be worshipped. And he goes up and he takes the scroll. And he, it's, it's this vision of he is the Lion of Judah coming forth. He is the power. He is authority. But he's also the slain lamb. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And it says this in Revelation chapter 5. I'll just read it real quick. They're singing a new song to him. They said, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's what Jesus does. That's what he did. And so as you answer this question for yourself, this maybe you do it today or you do it this week or for the rest of your life, this is just constant. Who is Jesus to you? And if you do come to the conclusion that he is Lord of Lords, that he is King of Kings of my life, in my heart, then you have to see who he has called you to be. Are you just playing church? Are you playing it? And you're coming to check the box and I do this because this is right and it gives me good morals or whatever. Or are you ready to be the church? Are you ready to be filled with God's spirit and go out? God, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to bless? Who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to be bold about you for? That's the question we have to ask ourselves individually and corporately as the church. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.